All right, turn with your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, and really those psalms that we sing do exemplify the themes of what we've been talking about the last several weeks in the high priestly role of Jesus Christ. For as high priest, he offers sacrifice on our behalf. And that's what Psalm, or Isaiah 52 and 53 is all about. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 5, we'll begin reading in verse 1, and we'll read through verse 4. Hebrews 5, verse 1, says, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God, in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided, since he himself also is beset with weakness. And because of it, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for sins, as for the people, so also for himself. And no one takes the honor to himself, but receives it when he is called by God, even as Aaron was. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your holy word, Lord, given to us to make us wise into salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And Lord, we pray today that you might teach us, Lord, concerning our great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God, Lord, that we might have a fuller and deeper understanding, Lord, of the great love with which you have loved us, and Lord, the great redemption that you have accomplished for us through our mediator, Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we pray for your blessing to be upon the teaching of your word today, and Lord, may it fall upon rich and fertile soil, and Lord, bear much good fruit within us. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, we began this passage last week where the apostle is describing the office and the responsibilities of the high priest. The high priest was the head of the entire system of worship established by God under the Old Covenant. In this one office, the entire priestly service was founded, and it is in this office that the ministry of Christ was seen by way of shadow in the Old Covenant. He is comparing and contrasting the high priesthood of Aaron with the high priesthood of Jesus Christ in order to show that Jesus Christ and his priesthood is superior in every way to what God did in Aaron and in his descendants. So we began last week in chapter 5 and we looked at verses 1 and 2. And there we saw that the high priest was first taken from among men that the one who serves as high priest must have a like nature with those whom he serves. And this is why he was taken from among men. And this taking was by the appointment of God, that no man took this for himself, but he must be appointed by God for this task. And this appointment was for the sake, or it was on behalf of men in things pertaining to God. Right, Because of sin, sinful men cannot approach God directly, but must come to God through a mediator. And the high priest is that mediator that ministers on behalf of men in the things pertaining to God. Those elements of worship associated with the old covenant, the offering of gifts and sacrifices for sins. The common man, right, the common Israelite could not go and offer these gifts on his own. He could not go into the tabernacle or into the temple and bring his own gifts and sacrifices and offer them there on the altar by himself. But rather, he must present those things to the priest and to the high priest who would then offer them on behalf of that man. And specifically, he talked about gifts and sacrifice for sin. 
the chief duty of the high priest was to make atonement for the sins of the people by offering sacrifices for their sins. Again, because of sin, sacrifice is necessary so that the wrath of God that is against the sinner is diverted to another, right? To the sacrifice. The sacrifice dies instead of or in place of the worshiper. And these sacrifices had to be offered by the high priest on behalf of the people. And then the chief trait of the high priest to possess as he relates to those people for whom he offers gifts and sacrifices. In verse 2 he said, he must deal gently with the ignorant and misguided. The high priest must be filled with compassion, with mercy, with love, with tenderness, patience, gentleness, kindness with those whom he serves. The people he performs his ministry for are described as ignorant and misguided people. Not perfect people, not sinless people, not absolutely righteous people, but ignorant, misguided people who will still stumble in many ways. People who are in constant need of compassion and mercy from God. But if the high priest is severe, if he is given to fits of rage, to outbursts of anger, then the people will be thwarted, right? They will be hindered from drawing near to God for grace and mercy. The gentleness of the high priest encourages the people to come and draw near to God, to offer their gifts and sacrifices to him, no matter how great their sins. If they come humbly before the Lord, if they are contrite and lowly in spirit, and they bring their gifts and sacrifice to the high priest, then he must deal with them gently and kindly and compassionately, bearing with them in an understanding way and continuing to minister on their behalf. This is what we saw last week in verses 1 and 2. And today we'll pick up in verse 3. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 3 says, And because of it, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for sins. As for the people, so also for himself. Here he begins by saying, and because of it. The because of it is what he said at the end of verse 2. This is the reason why he must offer sacrifice for sins. At the end of verse 2 it says, He himself also is beset with weakness. The high priest is a man of weakness, a man of frailty, a man who has a depraved, sinful nature. And because he is a man of weakness, and those that he serves are also men of weakness who are bent to sin, then he must offer sacrifice for sins. Here, this weakness is twofold. twofold. First, there is the natural weaknesses of our current human nature or our current human condition. Our nature is frail. We are feeble, right? We are weak. We are subject to many temptations. This is the principal weakness that we face in this life. The temptation to sin against God that plagues us during our time here on earth. Every high priest chosen from among men in the history of Israel, they knew what it was to be clothed with a weak, frail human body. They knew what it was to have an earthly tent or an earthly body and knew what it was to be tempted to sin against God. So there is the natural weaknesses associated with our current nature. But then secondly, for these high priests chosen from among men that came from Aaron, there is also the moral weakness. And this is because of the flesh, 
the sinful flesh. Because of the law of sin that wages war against the spirit, even the best of the high priest, even the most godly of them, men like Aaron or his son Eleazar or Samuel or Jehoiada, even these men who were good men, they were righteous men, they were converted men, faithful men before God, and they faithfully discharged their office of high priest to God, yet all of these men were still capable of sinning against God. And not only were they capable of doing this, all of them actually did commit sins against God all of the days of their life, and all of the days of their priesthood, they all continued to commit sin against God. Because if we say that we have no sin, we are liars. It says in 1 John chapter 1. Now, as we mentioned last week, Jesus Christ possessed the first of these weaknesses, but not the second. He possessed a body like ours, a flesh like ours, not the sinful flesh, but the natural flesh, the body that we have, a weak, frail human body that was susceptible to temptation and was susceptible to death. But Jesus did not possess moral weakness that results in actual transgression of the law of God or actual sins against God. And this is because he neither inherited the sinful nature from Adam, nor did he ever commit any transgression of the law of God. So that Jesus was perfectly spotless without any sin. He did not possess the guilt of original sin, nor did he possess the guilt of any of the actual sins That was in him. He was like us in all things with this one exception. He was without sin. And this makes him more qualified to serve as high priest than any of the high priests that came from Aaron. Because he can supremely associate and sympathize with our weaknesses because his nature is not impaired by sin. His love of his fellow man is not impaired by the sinful impulses of the flesh. Let's see this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1. says, For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. Inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a pledge. Now, in comparison or in relation to us, our groaning is not only to be released from our mortal body, but also we want to be released from sin. Christ did not have that groaning to be released from sin because he never committed any sin. However, he did have a mortal body, and his mortal body was swallowed up by a body of life or an eternal body that he now possesses, right? He had the mortal body, but now he has the eternal body. Also, Hebrews chapter 2, Hebrews 2.14 says, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, 
and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendant of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are being tempted. There the children have flesh and blood. He also partook of the same. He partook of our flesh and blood. And it says that he was tempted. He was tempted to sin. Yet he never committed any sin because he did not have the moral corruption that we possess. Also, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Hebrews 4, 14 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There, he can sympathize with us because he has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. This is only true of Jesus Christ as our high priest. He had the natural weakness, which makes him able to sympathize with us, the weak body, also susceptible to temptation and susceptible to death, but he did not share the moral weaknesses that we have, and this is why he was without sin. But all of the high priests in the history of Israel, they possessed both the natural weakness, but also the moral weaknesses. They were sinful men. They possessed a depraved human nature, and they all committed actual sins against God. Both the high priest and those that he served on behalf of, the whole lot of them were all beset with sinful weaknesses. All of them were sinners before God. And this is what he draws our attention to in verse 3. Because of the reality of sin, both in the people and in the priest, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for sins. Notice there, he's obligated to do this. It's not an option. It's not something that he may or may not do. He is obligated by God to do so. The very purpose for which God established the office of high priest, the very purpose for which God consecrated Aaron and his descendants to serve in this capacity was to offer sacrifices for sins. This is the chief responsibility of the high priest, to offer sacrifice for sins. And this is because God demands satisfaction for sins. And satisfaction only comes through the shedding of the blood of a sacrifice. Our sins must be atoned for. Our sins must be punished. There must be a satisfaction of the debt of justice that we owe to God because of our sins. Otherwise, if we draw near to God, we're going to be consumed in His wrath. He will consume us because our sin is as stubble, and if we are found in our sin, we will be consumed by the fury of the wrath of God. 
If we are going to draw near to God, if we are going to worship God, if we are going to be reconciled to God, if we are going to have God's favor instead of his wrath and fury, then there must be a sacrifice for our sins. As it says in Hebrews 9.22, According to the law, one must say, All things are cleansed with blood. And without shedding blood, there is no forgiveness. There is no relationship with God without the forgiveness of sins. And there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. This is why the high priest is obligated to offer sacrifices for sins. And this obligation here is twofold. It is for the people, and so also, he says, for himself. The people that he serves are sinners. He's appointed on behalf of men. Therefore, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for them, right? For their sins. The people cannot offer these sacrifices by themselves. They must come to the high priest, and he must make such offerings for their sins. But who else is a sinner? in this scenario, in this equation. The high priest, he also is a sinner. He is not free from sin, but is a man with a nature just like the people. The people have a corrupt, sinful nature. The high priest has a corrupt, sinful nature. The people have their daily sins. The high priest has his daily sins. He has a common interest in the sacrifice for sins. His sin must be atoned for. He must be cleansed of his own sin before he can serve and offer sacrifice for the sins of the people. So all of them are sinners, both the people and the priest. Therefore, all of them are in need of sacrifice for sins. And under the law, the priest, the order was that he first offered sacrifice for his own sins. And then only after that, could he offer sacrifices on behalf of the people? And this is established in three different ways. First, Leviticus chapter 9. Leviticus chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, show that in Aaron's, when this office of high priest was established, in Aaron and his descendants, when it was established, it was consecrated by a sacrifice for sins. So when they were set apart for this task, it required a sacrifice for sins. Leviticus 9, verses 1 and 2 says, Now it came about on the eighth day that Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. And he said to Aaron, Take for yourself a calf, a bull, for a sin offering and a ram offering for a burnt offering, both without defect, and offer them before the Lord. Then also verse 8. So Aaron came near to the altar and slaughtered the calf of the sin offering, which was for himself, for his own consecration and the consecration of his family. Then if we go to Leviticus chapter 4, Leviticus 4 verses 1 to 3, there were provisions in the law for the daily sins committed by the priests, including the high priest. Leviticus 4, 1 to 3. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, If a person sins unintentionally in any of the things which the Lord has commanded not to be done, and commits any of them, if the anointed priest sins so as to bring guilt on the people, then let him offer to the Lord a bull without defect as a sin offering for the sin he has committed. 
He shall bring the bull to the doorway of the tent of meeting before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the bull and slay the bull before the Lord. So here, if the priest, the anointed priest, commits an unintentional sin, so as to bring guilt upon himself and the people, then he needs to offer sacrifice for this sin. And then lastly, Leviticus 16, yearly on the Day of Atonement, the Day of Atonement, this yearly time in which sin was offered for the people, the high priest must first offer sacrifice for himself on this yearly Day of Atonement. Leviticus 16, verses 1 to 6. Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they had approached the presence of the Lord and died. The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he shall not enter at any time into the holy place inside the veil, before the mercy seat which is on the ark, or he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. Aaron shall enter the holy place with this, with a bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the linen tunic and the linen undergarments, shall be next to his body, and he shall be girded with a linen sash and attired with a linen turban. These are holy garments. Then he shall bathe his body in water and put them on. He shall take from the congregation of the sons of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Then Aaron shall offer the bull for the sin offering, which is for himself, that he may make atonement for himself and for his household." And then he was to offer the goats for the people. So there, in these three ways, both his consecration at the beginning of this ministry, also the daily sins of the high priest, and then yearly on the Day of Atonement, the high priest was obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins. As for the people, so also for himself. And the order was first for himself and then on behalf of the people. And this was done intentionally by God in order to teach many important truths to the people and to us. The first of these being that the high priest must be pure. He must be purified from sin. How can the high priest serve on behalf of the people? How can he deal with their sins when he himself is plagued, is covered with the filth of his own sin? And this is why he first must be cleansed of his own sin. And then after he is cleansed of his sin, then he can serve on behalf of the people. Only a high priest who is pure, who is clean, who is spotless, who has no filth of sin can serve before God on behalf of the people. And in the offering of a sacrifice for his own sins, in his purification by sacrifice is displayed by way of shadow the purity of our great high priest who is Jesus Christ, who had no need to offer sacrifice for his own sins. When Jesus went into the tabernacle, not of this creation, he did not first offer sacrifice for his own sins and then offer sacrifice for us. And why did Jesus not need to do so? Because he had no sin. He was pure, he was spotless, he was undefiled. He did not need to do this because there was no sin found in Christ. No deceit was in him, but he was the pure, spotless high priest of God. Hebrews 7, 26. Hebrews 7, 26 makes this distinction 
between the priesthood of Christ and the priesthood of those under the old covenant. Hebrews 7.26, For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily, like those high priests, to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins, and then for the sins of the people, because he did it once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak. But the word of oath, which came after the law, appoints a son who is made perfect forever. Right, in here, this is a great comfort and consolation for the people of God. To have Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as our high priest, who did not have to offer sacrifice for his own sins. Right, if the high priest... And if the people under the old covenant, if they gained some access to God through the typical sacrifices that could never take away their sins, then how much more confidence do we have to draw near to God through our high priest, Jesus, the Son of God, who has offered his own blood to atone for our sins? So here in their offering and being cleansed of their own sin, it is setting forth by way of shadow the purity of Christ. Not that Jesus needed to be cleansed from sin, but they were purified, showing the need of purity in the high priest. But secondly, it also shows the insufficiency of the old covenant. The insufficiency of the ministry of the high priesthood of Aaron. How could Aaron and how could any high priest under the old covenant, who needed to first offer sacrifice for his own sins. How could he stand as a mediator between God and man? How is that man qualified to purify the conscience of the people from dead works who is himself in need of purifying? Right In this, it is obvious that this man and this ministry is unable to satisfy sin. The sacrifices of the animals that he is offering is not able to atone for the sins of the people. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10 verses 1 to 4 show that in all of these sacrifices that Aaron and the other high priests offered both for themselves and for others, they were never able to purify or to atone for any of the sins of the people. Through those sacrifices, that was not the source of their atonement. Hebrews 10 verse 1 says, For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise would they have not ceased to be offered, because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins year by year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Then also verse 11. Every high priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifice which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering, he has perfected for all time 
those who are sanctified. Right there, both the priest and the sacrifices under the old covenant were insufficient. They could not take away the sins of the people. And this is because the high priest was defective and the sacrifices were defective. Neither one of them are able to atone for the sins. And this is obvious because they had to be repeatedly offered year after year after year. The same sacrifices for sins. And the point that the apostle is making in Hebrews 10 is if these sacrifices perfected the people, then there would no longer be any need for them. But because they are doing this repeatedly year after year after year, it shows that it was never able to take away their sins. So, for example, take a man, a descendant of Aaron, who serves as high priest, and say his ministry in that office lasts for 30 years. Right? That means on the Day of Atonement for 30 years. 30 days of atonement, every single year he serves as high priest, and every single year he has to offer sacrifice for sins. Year after year after year, he must offer the same sacrifice for sins, both for the people, but also for himself. Year after year after year. The same order. The same sacrifices every year. He must do it for himself, and then he must do it for the people. And in this repetition, there is a reminder of sin. That the people have not been perfected, and that their high priest has not been perfected, but all of them still have this consciousness of sin. And this shows the weakness, the insufficiency, the uselessness of the old covenant as the source of salvation. Right? We have to make that caveat. As the source of salvation, the old covenant is useless. But as a shadow of salvation, it is useful. It is helpful in teaching things about Christ, but not as the substance, not as the basis by which men have the forgiveness of sins. It is useful as a shadow to show the source of salvation. But if one is putting his hope for salvation for the forgiveness of sin in the high priesthood of Aaron. And if he is putting his hope in the forgiveness of sins, in the shedding of the blood of bulls and goats, then that man is as deranged as a lunatic. That man has no hope of salvation because how could a sinful high priest ever take away your sin? And how could the blood of bulls and goats ever atone for the sin of men? As shadows, these things are useful to instruct, but as substance, they are useless because they are unable to save any men. These things were beneficial only insofar as they represented to the people the high priestly ministry of Christ. And insofar as they represented to the people the offering of his body once for all to atone for our sins. Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews 8, verse 7, and then verse 13. Hebrews 8, verse 7 says, For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. And then verse 13. When he set a new covenant, he made the first obsolete. But whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. Right, This distinction between the Old and New Covenant. 
And that distinction is found not merely in the New Testament, but where is it introduced at? It's introduced in the Old Testament. That the prophets, like Jeremiah, are talking about the New Covenant shows that the Old Covenant is insufficient, that it is not able, right, if it was faultless, if it could perfect the people, then there wouldn't be the need for the New Covenant. But that God announced hundreds of years in advance, thousands of years in advance, the need of a New Covenant that is ratified on better sacrifices shows that this covenant could never take away the sins of the people. If the Old Covenant worship and if those rituals If the high priest from Aaron, if the tabernacle and altar on earth, if the sacrifice of bulls and goats, right? If these things could actually atone for the sins of the people, if they could cleanse a man from all unrighteousness, then there would not be the need of the new covenant of a high priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, of better sacrifices offered in the tabernacle that is not of this creation. If they could take away sins. But in these things, there is a reminder of sin. That they are offered repeatedly shows that they cannot atone for sin. Right? For 1,400 years, Israel offered animal sacrifices through the ministry of the priesthood of Aaron. And during that time, millions of animals... Right, The blood of millions of animals would have been spilt. And not one sin of one man was ever atoned for by the shedding of the blood of animals. Not one sin of one man ever in that 1,400 years was ever atoned for by the shedding of that blood. And this is because there is only one sacrifice that can take away a man's sin. And any man who has had the forgiveness of sins, whether he lives in our day, or whether he lived under the old covenant, or whether he lived before the establishment of the old covenant in Moses, any man who has ever had his sin atoned for, had his sin atoned for on the basis of who? Of Jesus Christ. In the shedding of whose blood? The shedding of the the blood of Jesus Christ once for all. His blood only is the source of salvation, is the source, is the fountain where sinners can go and have all of their sins washed away. As it says in Zechariah 13, verse 1, In that day a fountain will be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem, for sin, for impurity. A fountain will be opened up, and that fountain is Jesus Christ. And it is in him that our sins and our impurities can be washed away. Then also in this establishment of the high priest offering sacrifice for himself and then for the people, there is there a reminder that before we can help our brother with his sin, whose sin must we deal with first? We must deal with our own sins. It is the epitome of hypocrisy for a man to be severe towards others and yet careless toward his own sin. Before the high priest could tend to the sins of the people, he must first tend to his own sins. And though we are not offering sacrifices in these ways, we are called to bear one another's burdens and we are called to help one another overcome sin. But before I can help you overcome your sin, I need to deal with my own sin. 
And failure to do so is the epitome of hypocrisy. And this is why our Lord Jesus Christ says, get the log out of your own eye so that you can help get the speck out of the eye of your brother in Matthew chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 4. Hebrews 5 4 says, and no one takes this honor to himself, but receives it when he is called by God, even as Aaron was. Here, no one takes the honor to himself. The office of high priest was not invented by Moses. The office of high priest was not filled by Moses. Moses was not guilty of nepotism by consecrating his brother Aaron to serve in the position of high priest. The office of high priest and the elevation of Aaron and his descendants to serve in this role was ordained by God Almighty. No one takes this honor to himself, but it can only be conferred onto a man by God. No one has the right to anoint himself or take up this position on his own initiative based upon his own authority. And yet repeatedly, Throughout the history of Israel, what do we find men doing? Trying to take this honor upon themselves. The first occasion of this is in Numbers chapter 16. Numbers chapter 16, this is the case of Korah and those rebels who were with him. Numbers 16, verses 1 to 11. Number 16, verse 1. says, Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Koath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took action. And they rose up before Moses, together with some of the sons of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, chosen in the assembly, men of renown. They assembled themselves together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You have gone far enough, for all the congregation are holy, every one of them. Wait, right, right there, that ought to tell us that these guys are up to no good. Talk about uh, seeing the glass as half full, right? <laughs> They're seeing it as all the way full. There's nothing about these people that has proven themselves to be holy, every one of them. Amen. right? And he says, And the Lord is in their midst. So why do you exalt yourself above the assembly of the Lord? When Moses heard this, he fell on his face, and he spoke to Korah and all of his company, saying, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is his, and who is holy, and will bring him near to himself, even the one whom he will choose. He will bring near to himself. Do this. Take censers for yourself, Korah and all your company, and put fire in them, and lay incense upon them in the presence of the Lord tomorrow. And the man whom the Lord chooses shall be the one who is holy. You have gone far enough you sons of Levi. Then Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi, is it not enough for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do service of the tabernacle of the Lord, to stand before the congregation, to minister to them, and that he brought you near Korah and all your brothers, sons of Levi, with you? Are you seeking for the priesthood also? Therefore, you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord. But as for Aaron, who is he that you grumble against him? Then also, verse 36, verse 36 says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Say to Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, 
that he shall take up the censer out of the midst of the blaze, for they are holy. And you scatter the burning coals abroad. As for the censers of these men who have sinned at the cost of their lives, let them be made into hammered sheets for a plating on the altar, since they did present them before the Lord, and they are holy, and they shall be for a sign to the sons of Israel. So Eleazar the priest took the bronze censer, which the men who had burned had offered, and they hammered them out as a plating for the altar. As a reminder to the sons of Israel, that no layman who is not of the descendants of Aaron should come near to burn incense before the Lord, so that he will not become like Korah and his company, just as the Lord has spoken to him through Moses. There, Korah and these others wanted the priesthood for themselves. That's what they were after. They were not satisfied with the position that God had given them, and Korah was himself a Levite. So he was even set apart from the rest of the congregation. There were certain rights and privileges given and bestowed upon him that the common Israelite did not have. Those from the tribe of Judah or from the tribe of Reuben or from the tribe of Benjamin. They could not do the service of the Levites there in the temple, but Korah could. But Korah was prohibited from having the role and the honor associated with the priesthood. That was given to Aaron and to his descendants, but he was not satisfied with what God had given to him. So he sought with these other men to take the honor for himself. And what ended up happening to Korah and these others? They all died. They all perished. God consumed them. They went down to hell alive because of this great sin that they had committed. And God made it very clear that this is only for the descendants of Aaron. And there on the altar, this plating was there as a reminder to all the people that only the sons of Aaron, only Aaron and his descendants were permitted, only this honor was given to them. And this sin was repeated throughout Israel's history. We remember from 1 Samuel 13 that Saul Instead of waiting for Samuel to arrive and offer burnt offerings and peace offerings, he took the honor for himself. And he performed this duty that was given only to the priests. And then we remember as well in 2 Chronicles 26 that King Uzziah took this honor for himself by going into the temple and offering and burning incense that was only for the priest. And then God struck him with leprosy as a result of these things. This because they did not follow the command of the Lord. Only God can grant this honor to a man. He says, no one takes it for himself, but receives it when he is called by God, even as Aaron was. Aaron received this calling from God. Aaron was not looking for fame and fortune. He was not out looking for some position for himself. Aaron was nothing. He was no different than the rest when God chose him, when God elevated him, when God conferred this honor upon him and to his, and to his children, an honor that he gave to them and not to anyone else. And it's important for us to remember, right? Even in terms of this honor, there was some honor that was given to Aaron that even Moses did not possess, right? In terms of Moses and Aaron, during their life, during their time on earth. Moses possessed more authority, and Moses received greater honor than Aaron during their lifetime. But in relationship to their descendants, the descendants of Aaron received greater honor and glory than the descendants of Moses. Moses' descendants were Levites, 
And they served in that capacity, but they did not have the honor of being the priest. This was given to Aaron and to his descendants. So Moses had more honor than Aaron in this life. And then in relationship to the Israelites, Aaron possessed more honor than the rest. But in terms of their descendants, Aaron received more honor than Moses, and he received more honor than the rest of the Levites, and he received more honor than the rest of the Israelites. Now we have to ask why. How did this come about? Why did God prefer him over and above the others? And it's all according to the sovereign pleasure of God. It's always according to the gift and calling of God. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. And if God wants to take one man Aaron and his family and set them apart and give this honor to them, then God can do whatever he wants. And if he withholds it from another, then God can do whatever he wants. And they can't complain and gripe and say this isn't fair and right. Because it's God's honor and he can bestow it upon whomever he wants. God can do all that he pleases. And here it is called an honor. And it is a great honor. There is no greater honor than for God to take a man and use him for his service. To bestow some gift or calling upon God and to solicit that man and put him into his service. And this is a reminder to us as well. Though none of us have the position of high priest, yet all of us have been called into the family of God. And all of us have been given gifts that are to be used for the mutual benefit of the church, that are to be used in service of God. And what greater honor can God confer upon us than to call us into his service, that we would be called his servants and that we would be called his children. God grants positions, God grants gifts, God gives callings. And whatever we have by way of position or by way of gift or by way of calling, it's more than we deserve because all any of us deserve is to go to hell for all eternity. And yet God has called us to salvation and God has called us for his service. And this is what is honorable in a man. Now, a couple of points to make in regards to verse 5. First, notice that the role of high priest was established and filled by God and not man. And this teaches us that only God can institute his worship on this earth. If God's worship is going to be found on this earth, then it must be the result of the work of God. Sinful men cannot establish true worship through their own efforts, through their own ideas, through their own imagination, and on the basis of their own authority. And whenever a man seeks to do this, it always results in idolatry, and in things that are a complete corruption and dishonor of God. And it results in condemnation upon man. Because only God can establish true worship. God alone established the role of high priest, and God alone filled that role with the man of his own choosing. And who ultimately is the man of God's choosing? who ultimately is the one that God has anointed to serve as high priest over the household of God. Only our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As it, we sang this morning from Isaiah 52, 13, Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. God exalted Christ and God bestowed this honor of being great high priest over the household of faith he has bestowed it upon his son, 
Jesus Christ. God himself must provide the high priest, and God himself must provide the sacrifice for sins. As our father Abraham said, God will provide for himself the burnt offering, my son, in Genesis 22.8. Without the right high priest and without the right sacrifices, there is no forgiveness of sins. And both of these have been graciously provided for us by God in one person, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the result of the work of God. Then lastly, in relationship to Aaron's exaltation, right? it does say that he received honor. He received an honor and he did receive a position that elevated him and set him apart from the rest of the people. He was bestowed with gifts and a calling that were not common. It was uncommon, right? He alone possessed this role of high priest and then it passed in successive generations through his descendants. It was given to him and to no one else. And right, and these were things pertaining to God. This is what he was handling and dealing with. These are privileges that were given to Aaron. Given to Aaron. Now we understand as well that in terms of the tribes, the tribe of Levite, they were also given certain privileges in handling the things of God that were not given to the other 11 tribes. But then in relationship to the Levites, this one family, the family of Aaron, was given and granted certain privileges as priests that the other Levites did not have. And then even in the family of Aaron, there was one of them who received the position of high priest. And there were certain rights and privileges that was granted to that one man that the rest of the priests did not have, that the rest of the Levites did not have, and that the rest of the sons of Israel did not have. But God can do whatever he wants. He is under no obligation to distribute his gifts and callings to all men alike, nor to all believers alike. God gives as he pleases according to his will. And it has never been and it never will be that in terms of gifts and calling that there is equality among men or even among Christian men. Now in terms of salvation, redemption, right, access to God, adoption into the family of God, then we're all on equal standing. We're all on the same plane. But in terms of gifts, callings, positions, God can confer those as he pleases, and there is a disparity among the people in what God gives. He gives to one man one gift, and to another man another. He gives to one man one position, and to another man another, and to one he gives no position at all. And God does this according to his will whether we're talking about one's position or one's station in life, whether we're talking about one's material possessions. Isn't it true that some people are rich, some people are poor, and many people exist somewhere in between? And even in the church, this is often the case. Some that are more wealthy, some that are less, and some that are in between. What about in terms of our natural abilities? Some people have more natural intellectual ability than other people. One person's mind works in one way. Another person's mind works in another way. One person is inclined toward mechanical things. Another person is more artistic or musical. Another one is more athletic. Another one is less athletic, right? It's just the way it is. And then in terms of spiritual gifts, right? No one possesses all of the spiritual gifts. And some of those gifts 
have more honor associated with them, and God gives them however he pleases. In all of these areas, there is a disparity between the people of God. So how should we think about these things in relationship to gifts and callings? Well, first, if we receive something from the Lord, some gift or some calling, then we never have any basis for boasting, for pride, for self-exaltation over and against our brothers. Aaron cannot boast over the rest of them, over the rest of the sons of Israel, as if he, on his own, did something that they could not do. Because he is no different than the rest of them. Is Aaron, was he born from a different race that did not come from Adam? He is equally a descendant of Adam. He is equally a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is equally a sinner, right? He has a corrupt nature. And he was in bondage in Egypt just like everyone else. So God might have just as easily chosen anyone else to serve in this role as Aaron. He's no better, no different than anyone else. So why Aaron and not the others? Because God chose him according to his will. God called him. God bestowed the honor on him. He has nothing to boast about, but only to be grateful for what God has granted to him. And this is why it says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, Who regards you as superior? Or what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Right? If you receive it from God, why are you bragging as if it came from you? Why are you boasting? Why are you using this to exalt yourself over and against your brother? It is unbecoming of Christians to do this in the church, in the home, wherever it is. Because whatever we have, we have received from God. Anything above hell is a gift given to us by God. And we should thank God for that and not use it as the basis of self-exaltation, of pride and arrogance. And this is the way it is. And it will remain this way throughout the remainder of our life. So we should never boast over and against our neighbor. And then secondly, if we are on the other end of that, if we are the Israelites who have not received the honor of being a high priest, or we have not received some gift or calling that another man has given or that God has given to another man. Say God blesses another man with something and we don't have that blessing. We should not be envious over and against our brother. We should never envy when someone else has something that we do not have. Again, this is the reverse, the other side of the coin. The one who receives the blessing is in danger of pride that is the temptation that comes with receiving the blessing. The one who does not receive the blessing, the danger is envy. That he might be envious and jealous of what his brother has. Is this not what led to the downfall of Korah and those who rebelled with him? They were envious. They were jealous of Aaron because he received an honor that they did not even though they had received an honor that the rest of the Israelites had not received, but it wasn't enough for them. They wanted more. They envied Aaron, and they wanted what Aaron possessed. But did Aaron take that honor for himself? Did Aaron receive that on the basis of self-exaltation and self-assertion? No, it was given to him by God. 
So in grumbling against Aaron and being envious of Aaron, who are they grumbling against? Who are they calling into question? God. They are accusing God of injustice. That God is not fair, God is not righteous in the way that he distributes his gifts among men. They're accusing God of sin. And when we envy our brothers, we are also accusing God of sin. It says in Isaiah 45, verses 9 and 10. Isaiah 45, verses 9 and 10. Woe to the one who quarrels with his maker, an earthenware vessel among the vessels of earth. Will the clay say to the potter, what are you doing? Or the thing you are making say, he has no hands. Woe to him who says to a father, what are you begetting? Or to a woman, to what are you giving birth? The clay cannot say to the potter, what are you doing? Why, why are you doing this? This isn't fair. This isn't right. Why did you do this for him and you didn't do it for me? We can't do that. We cannot grumble and complain against our maker and against our master. I should not be envious of another when God chooses to bestow some blessing on him while withholding the same blessing from me. And God does this intentionally in the church to test us, to try us, to exercise us, to produce humility in us so that we will practice love one for another. So instead of being envious when God grants a blessing to one of my brothers, I ought to rejoice in God's blessing for my brother because when God blesses my brother, who else is he blessing in that? He blesses me in that as well. For whatever gifts or calling God bestows in his body, it's always for the mutual benefit and encouragement of the church. So when God blesses you with some gift or blessing, he is also blessing me as well through you and vice versa. And wasn't that the case with Aaron? Aaron received the honor, yes. Aaron was elevated to high priest, but who benefited from his ministry? Who was he there serving on behalf of? They received the blessing. He did it for the sake of the people. And so it ought to be among us as well. Instead of grumbling, instead of complaining, instead of being envious and jealous of one another, we ought to rejoice in God's blessing and in the wisdom of God in the way that he disperses his gifts among his people. And if we do that, then we will give glory to God. We will be grateful for what God has done for us. And we will rejoice in our brother. And instead of there being biting and devouring and constant friction and turmoil once amongst another, there will be love, harmony, peace, right? And it will build up the body of faith. So then let us pursue what makes for peace. And let us not be envious toward one another, but instead rejoice when God grants his gifts to any of us. Because it's more than any of us deserve. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today, Lord, thanking you, Father, for being the one, Lord, who has established his worship here on this earth. Lord, we know that from the fall, the mind of man has been so corrupted from sin, Lord, that it is impossible, Lord, left to our own devices for us to ever imagine or construct any form of worship Lord, that would be pleasing to you. Lord, that would result in glory and honor to your name. And Lord, that would be of any benefit or use to the people. 
but instead, Lord, left to our own devices. Whatever we constructed by way of religion or by way of worship would only be idolatry. And Lord, it would lead just to more and more condemnation upon us. And yet, Lord, we see that you have been pleased to reveal your will to us. And Lord, you have been pleased to establish your worship here on this earth, Lord, among your people. Lord, by raising up a great high priest over the household of God, Jesus, the Son of God, who has offered sacrifice for our sins. Lord, not the blood of bulls and goats, but his own blood he has offered. And Lord, we see that in him, Lord, all of our sins are taken away. Lord, that in Christ, the people can be perfected and that our conscience can be purified of dead works. Lord, we see that in him, Lord, we can have what could never be accomplished through the priesthood of Aaron and, Lord, through the sacrifices of animals. And so, Father, we thank you that you have established such a high priest for us. And, Lord, we pray that as we meditate and as we see our Lord Jesus Christ there at your right hand, interceding for us, that, Lord, we would be emboldened and encouraged, Lord, to draw near to you, Lord, with boldness and with sincerity, that we might find help and grace during our time of need. Lord, we thank you that you have called us into this great salvation, and that, Lord, you have given to us so many gifts and so many blessings. Lord, our very life is a gift from you. Lord, our salvation is a gift from you. Lord, whatever measure of faith that we have has come from you. Lord, whatever gifts of the Spirit that we possess, Lord, has been granted by you. Lord, our jobs, our homes, our position and station in life, Lord, whatever possessions, all of this, Lord, every good and perfect gift has come down from you. And so, Father, we thank you for your kindness, Lord, for your goodness, Lord, for your blessings that you bestow among men and especially among your children. And, Lord, we pray that as we see these things and as we receive them from you, Lord, that we would never be filled with pride and arrogance. Lord, for how could we? seeing that you are the one who grants these things freely and graciously, Lord, without any consideration of man. And Lord, as well, that you might guard us from envy, Lord, from being jealous of our brother when you bestow some gift upon them and withhold it from us. But Lord, we pray that amongst our body, Lord, and in our homes, instead of arrogance and instead of envy, Lord, that there would be love, and that there would be mutual care and rejoicing one over another. So, Father, we pray that you would work this within us, and that you would guard us from these sins, Lord, that come with either the receiving or withholding of any gift or blessing from you, and that, Lord, you would build us up in perfect love in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And, Lord, we again thank you for his work that he is even now performing on our behalf, as our great mediator, Lord, who stands between you and us and reconciles us to you. And Lord, may all of our service and all of our worship, Lord, be offered up in his name and on the basis of his ministry. And it is in his precious name that we pray. Amen.